This is In Conversation from Network Reorient in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. We aim to explore the post-Western, reconnect the Islamosphere. In this episode, Amna Isat Das is in conversation with Marwan Mohammed on the CCIF and Islamophobia in France. Assalamu alaikum all. I am joined here today on Network Reorient with the great um, Marwan Mohammed. My name is Dr. Amina Isat Das. I'm a lecturer in politics specializing in um, the study of Muslims in France and Belgium, but also Islamophobia studies. Um, Marwan, if you could introduce yourselves for our listeners, please. Yes, thank you, uh, Amina. My name is uh, Marwan Mohammed. I'm born and I grew up in France. I'm a statistician by training. I specialize mainly in uh, probability uh, studies and uh, and um, quantitative algorithms. I used to work in finance uh, as a, as an analyst for ten years, and then I had it with like financial markets. I started working and applying my knowledge of mathematics to human rights issues and uh, and discrimination issues. So that's where I. Uh, Started volunteering with uh, with NGOs, uh, mainly against racism. Uh, and at the time, uh, in 2010, the the main focus was on Islamophobia because it was a form of contemporary racism that wasn't sufficiently addressed and recognized. So I would work on every uh, on every issue and type of discrimination, but I would have a deliberate focus on Islamophobia because that's where uh, help was most uh, needed. Um, and I became the lead statistician and uh, spokesman for an organization called the Collective Against Islamophobia in France, uh, CCIF. And uh, at the time, it was a really small organization doing great work since 2004. And they've been created mainly to help and support victims of discrimination by providing psychological and legal support so that victims access their rights. Uh, and, uh, and and we can address like uh, structural forms of discrimination at the time and still today it was mainly targeted at Muslim women uh, with a focus on uh, Muslim women wearing a headscarf uh, which are the most affected who are the most affected by discrimination cases so uh, I focused on providing the collective with a solid statistical methodology and also raising awareness on the reality of uh, Islamophobia in France. What do we uh, mean by that? Are we including criticism of religion, which is not the case? Or are we solely focusing on uh, racial uh, issues of hate crimes and discrimination cases, which was more, uh, which was more it? Uh, and, uh, and also raising awareness at the national and international level on the situation in, uh, in, uh, in France. And that's what I spent most of my time doing for the last 10 years first as a volunteer for CCIF until 2014, then as a diplomat for the OSCE, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, where I was in charge of these issues, but uh, at a much wider level, because you have 57 participating states. And then I took the lead of uh, CCIF as the director uh, before completing my mandate with, the, with them a couple of years ago. 
So now I consult on uh, human rights issues, on methodology issues, on campaigning uh, issues. Also, I do a bit of uh, a bit of research, but I still support NGOs in France and in Europe on uh, on on their fight against discrimination, generally speaking, and on Islamophobia more specifically. Absolutely, I think in in the French context, um, it's so pertinent, and I note that the formation of the CCIF is 2004 um, and some of our listeners may not know but that's definitely um, one of the key catalysts really uh, for a lot of um, Muslim-led and Muslim-centered activism in in France because 2004 saw the implementation of the the loi Stasi, the Stasi, the Stasi law which uh, prohibited ostentatious faith symbols um, in the schools. So in terms of um, the implementation, a lot of the literature indicates <clears throat> that this law um, primarily affected Muslim women in France. And I think you've touched upon that. Did you see that the majority of the casework in um, in the CCIF was around Muslim women? What sorts of examples and experiences are women facing in France if they choose to be visibly Muslim? Yeah, so you have like, depending on the, depending on the year, maybe to give some figures, uh, CCIF has to handle between 2,000 and 3,000, 4,000 calls uh, uh, every year and, and, and emails and uh, specific requests uh, by, uh, by individuals. Out of these, uh, after investigation, they account for 800, 900 uh, cases of, uh, of uh, Islamophobia, including hate crime cases and discrimination cases. And for uh, the discrimination part, uh, depending on the year, it will vary between 70 and 85% of the cases targeting Muslim women. Uh, so this is like uh, 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 the vast majority of the of the of the cases, and they affect Muslim women wearing a headscarf as the as the key target. But also Muslim women not wearing a headscarf. We'll get to to that uh, a bit later, but in different ways and at different stages of their empowerment process. So for instance, Muslim women wearing a headscarf, they will be targeted in anything related to access, accessing. Uh, uh, housing, accessing uh, uh, studies, accessing a grant, accessing a workplace, accessing public services or, or healthcare. So whenever they have to enter a space, whether it be a physical space or a conceptual space of expression or empowerment, they will be denied access. So the typical example will be uh, uh, she applies for a job and uh, the CV is very interesting, uh, and the and the let the cover letter is really uh, uh, appealing and interesting. And so she's asked to come in for uh, for an interview, and everything was great, everything was amazing. They even did a phone call, uh, uh, which confirmed uh, their interest for her candidacy. But when she comes in for an interview, they, they realize that she's wearing a headscarf, and so the the nature of the interview is completely different. The type of questions that are asked, the length of the of the interview, eventually ending in the in the dismissal of her candidacy for no other reason that uh, 
uh, she's wearing away a headscarf. And these cases are very difficult to prove because they will, of course, not motivate explicitly their, their dismissal by, uh, by this criteria. But when we have testing studies showing that just by modifying the name or just by uh, changing uh, some specific features in the, in the CV related to religion, you, you turn your chance around from one to five of getting an interview, then we know that the religion has a, a, an explicit impact on that. Um, you want to take part in a school outing uh, as, a, as a mother, and you will be denied access to the event uh, because you wear a headscarf. Or even worse, the teacher, knowing that the mother is wearing a headscarf, is not going to put uh, is not going to put in. He's, he's not going to put in a note in the in the um, in the in the network so that she's not even aware that she mm -hmm. could take part in the outing. Uh, so they don't have to exclude her because she's not even aware that something is happening. Um, and then you will have cases that are much more explicit. Uh, you go to a restaurant with a, with a friend, and uh, the restaurant owner will refuse to serve you because you wear a headscarf. We had a case like that in 2013. Uh, it was not the only case, but it was one of the most important cases because uh, the victims have uh, uh, had a video showing the insults and the rejection by the by the restaurant owner and the older clients not even moving to support them, not even saying anything. Uh, and then you have, of course, all the all the physical assaults. Uh, the stabbings, the uh, uh, the assaults in the streets, uh, 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 the insults in the streets, people spitting at the face of a Muslim woman uh, uh, wearing a headscarf. These are some of the horrendous cases that uh, CCF has to deal with on a on a on an annual basis. So these uh, these uh, these give you uh, an idea of what Muslim women uh, have to go through. And I was saying that Muslim women not wearing a headscarf are also affected. They are, but not necessarily in this dynamic of excess. They will be uh, identified as Muslims uh, in the workplace, for instance, or in the university, and denied equal access to uh, a grant for excellency. Or in their professional appraisal, in their evaluation, in their annual uh, uh, interview with their manager, they will be asked specific questions like, uh, uh, Fatima, uh, you're really integrated, we love you in the workplace, but we hope that you will not start wearing a headscarf, of course. Or we saw that during Ramadan, you stopped uh, putting on makeup or maybe not wearing high heels or not wearing a miniskirt. Maybe there's something wrong with you at, uh, at, uh, at home. We hope, we hope that you're not becoming radicalized. Uh, and, uh, and so these, these, uh, these issues, not only are they sexist uh, in and of themselves, but they also reveal a typical relationship to Muslim women and to Muslim women's bodies uh, 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 in the context of their belonging to a specific religion as an aggravating factor to, an, uh, to a pre-existing form of sexism in the workplace. So this gives you an, uh, an idea of how Muslim women are affected, whatever they do, as Muslims and as women, and the headscarf uh, marker is only a marker. It's not uh, the, the, the explanatory factor that would protect or expose a woman either to sexism or racism, or in this case, Islamophobia. Absolutely. I think you've touched on so many important issues there that, yes, 
I think in France um, and in Francophone Europe that it is a hugely gendered phenomenon, but actually it, it goes beyond just France and Francophone Europe. In fact, we see the gendered dimension of Islamophobia um, across the board that Muslim women's bodies in this case are the battleground um, between so-called secularists um, and between their own ideas and their own voice, which I find is often silenced in all of these um, comings and And I remember the restaurant case um, that you that you spoke about, but I think it gives a real insight into that explicit Islamophobia that exists in France um, as well. Did you find um, in the, the CCIF, were there um, particular points of convergence with um, political events or political narratives? Did that give rise to more cases? I'm thinking, for example, when they introduced the anti, um, the law against covering one's face, or as it's commonly known, the loi anti-niqab, the anti-niqab law. Did you find there were more cases? Did more people suffer discrimination, uh, Islamophobic discrimination in this case? Yeah, so basically what you have, whether it be for the 2004 law, or the, which was the headscarf ban, or the 2010 law, the niqab uh, uh, ban, is that, of course, from a legal standpoint, they will not identify uh, the fact that the law is specifically targeting Muslim women. They will say uh, against ostentatious signal mm -hmm. signs in the, in the school, or against the, uh, the, the, the the dissimulation of the face in the public uh, in the public space, because otherwise it will be uh, unconstitutional uh, uh, and legally discriminatory. But in the in the, in the discussions uh, preceding the voting of these laws and in the impact of these laws, everybody sees that it's clearly targeting Muslim women. They are the central uh, uh, political object. Of the of the of the of the discussion of the debate, and I say political object, specifically because these women were denied participation in this debate. Uh, they were not political subjects. They weren't speaking, and they weren't even granted the opportunity to speak up and express their views. They were uh, always conceived of in the third person. They say this, they do that, they wear the headscarf because of this, or they do it because of that, and they would be unequivocal, they would be total. Every mm -hmm. single Muslim woman who chooses or not to wear a headscarf would do it for the same objective reason and have no sense of subjectivity, have no sense of agency whatsoever. And we would be left uh, uh, like as spectators, and we couldn't say anything, and Muslim women were denied uh, any participation in, uh, in, uh, in this. That's why CCIS work was so insistent on putting Muslim women's perspective at the core of the discussion through testimonials, through campaigns, through documentaries and videos, uh, giving back their, their own voices. So uh, to answer your, your, your question, yes, we see a direct correlation between the level of discussion and the occurrences of this targeting of Muslims and of Muslim women, and among them Muslim women wearing a headscarf on one part, and the rise of discrimination and hate crime cases on the other. So you can quantitatively uh, uh, see this every time you have a campaign uh, or a new discussion about the, about the headscarf, because it's cyclic, 
it's like seasons in uh, in France. Every uh, semester, every quarter, you have like a new issue. Yeah, we banned them from school. Now let's ban them from university. Mm -hmm. Now let's ban them from the workplace. Now let's ban them from the swimming pool or the beach or the gym or whatever. So every time there is this uh, uh, the discussion in the media or in the political sphere, you will see in the in the in the next weeks a rise of discrimination cases and uh, hate crime cases. Why? Because uh, the, that's an availability bias. Uh, if you uh, if you are uh, a potential perpetrator and you listen to this media all day long and these pictures, uh, it gives you permission. First, it designates a target, Muslim women. It gives you permission because they are dehumanized. Yeah, and it reminds you that these are potential uh, targets for your hate. And that's why uh, the next time they see a Muslim woman, uh, they are tempted to take action also because they know that they will get political support for this. If they exclude uh, uh, Muslim women, they will be supported by a number of political groups in the country. And even if they go to court, chances are uh, the prosecutor will talk about the victim negatively, saying, hey, of course it's not uh, right to insult you, but also we cannot uh, consider that your headscarf is neutral, you are making a political statement with this, so of course you expect some level of hostility. And this gives you, uh, in a nutshell, how political speeches and media uh, uh, and media attention raises danger on Muslim women as potential targets, and how the dehumanizing pro uh, process makes it almost acceptable in the French society to identify these women as targets. Absolutely, I agree. Um, there's definitely that intensification, and I think yes, you've quite you've you've explained so clearly um, the French. Uh, example, but we see it in the UK as well. Um, I find it really interesting that you were talking about the they. Um, in in my own experience, and perhaps for those who might know me personally, um, I recall talking with somebody who was actually involved in the Stasi Commission, who was in a ministerial role at the time, and I asked that very question: Why did you not involve um, Muslim women within this commission? Why did they not? Why were they not given the opportunity to present evidence? And um, he came back with two, two comments. Um, one was we had an individual, but we know that this individual might identify as a Muslim woman in the public sphere, but she was very much an individual who toes the party line, who repeats the sort of government narrative. And for him, that was sufficient. And then he also talked about this kind of liberation narrative, um, that they're just simply making these laws um, although they're not directly, in his view, not directly targeting Muslim women, whereas the evidence suggests contrary, that it was about saving these women. Um, and I, I very much felt that sort of Spavakian line came to mind. You know, it's the, the white men saving the brown women from the brown men. But quite frankly, we don't need saving, um, would be my response um, to all of that. A lot of what you've discussed as well, I've seen um, within my own work with Muslim women involved in politics in France and Belgium, and I've seen that they are in France very much excluded. It's those issues of limited access. Um, recently, the CCIF has been facing a lot of pressure. Um, would you mind describing the background um, and the current situation as to where we're at in terms of the CCIF um, and where all of this has come about? And how it's coming yeah, out. So, yeah, so basically, um, since it's been created, CCIF has only gained more traction 
uh, at the national and international level. At the international level, it's part of every international organization. Uh, it's part of every coalition uh, in Europe or globally against Islamophobia. It is widely respected as a serious human rights organization specialized on, uh, on Islamophobia. And in France, the support from grassroots communities and from everyday uh, uh, typical Muslims is massive because for the first time we have something of our own. We have something that is at the same time professional, independent, uh, that is financed uh, through community and donations and individuals and which are like accountable for the work that they, uh, that they do and are transparent in the way that they conduct this, uh, this, uh, this work and sometimes uh, when necessary uh, speaks truth to power. Uh, so the, the organization is capable of producing report and saying, hey, these are the issues we, uh, we see uh, and these are the recommendations we make to the authorities so that they maybe address these forms of structural discriminations. But the simple fact uh, that we say something, uh, something is wrong uh, creates a form of controversy and opposition. And of course, this is normal. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is organic to racism. Of course, if you claim there is racism and if you ask for a change, those who benefit from this structural racism will, of course, oppose any criticism. But it's the first time in our recent history that France uh, and its government are ready to put at stake the rule of law just to silence political dissent. Uh, and just to target and identify a human rights organization as, and I quote, an enemy of the Republic, end of quote. So you have uh, a minister of interior who's like your typical opportunist, which uh, will not shock anybody who observes politics on the, long, uh, on, the long, uh, on the long term, but only in France can you see uh, a, a, a minister in his first mandate in his first three months designate human rights advocates as enemies of the republic and when you ask him why then he will tell you they say that there is islamophobia in france well you're just making their point uh, if you think <laughs> if you are targeting them just because uh, uh, they are criticizing a, an objective situation an objective problem then you are basically validating everything that they have said for the last 16 years and once i was uh, interviewed by a, by a, by a journalist on a, on a, in le monde and he was uh, telling me that the minister of interior is very angry uh, 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 because you put in the report uh, that some political figures are, are are Islamophobic. I say, yeah, that's uh, that's true. But I promise we will stop saying it when they start doing it. Uh, and as long as they don't change attitude, and as long as this becomes, as this remains a structural problem, uh, uh, CCIF shouldn't change uh, attitude. And so uh, now they found that their only way of getting rid of the CCIF is to dissolve them as like an arbitrary measure. And when they need to motivate the dissolution, they make up lies upon lies upon lies upon lies. Uh, so these are Muslim brothers. No, they're not. Okay, so these are Salafis. No, they're not. Okay, so they are campaigning to impose the headscarf. No, they're not, but they are campaigning for every woman to choose how they want to, uh, how they want to dress. 
uh, okay, but then they support terrorism. No, they condemn every single act. But the fact that you ask this question tells a lot about the way you perceive Muslim communities. Okay, so now they receive money from abroad. No, they don't, but you do receive money from abroad. And so, so this is ridiculous. And we are, we are, we are showing a ridiculous situation, uh, a grotesque situation, we would, uh, we would say in France. But if it would be funny if this didn't have an impact on millions of, uh, of, uh, of lives. And I think uh, a lot of Muslims and a lot of human rights advocates in France are just tired of, of getting a new law, a new political law every day. Uh, because at some point you say, hey, what's the point? What's the point continuing? And so this is really a, a very difficult situation at the moment. I agree. And I think part of this strikes me as a complete failure on the part of political officials to see the incoherencies and hypocrisies within their own narrative. I mean, their, their very narrative proves the existence of Islamophobia because it's clearly um, med sort of motivated, I guess, by their own Islamophobic positioning. But also they've forgotten, like you stated, they've forgotten the law is 1901 law in France, guaranteeing the freedom of association. There's a great hypocrisy. Um, but also, and I think you, you've highlighted this, there is a lack of willing to hear about Islamophobia existing within the French context. Because if they hear and they accept that it exists, they concede that, then perhaps I would say there's something that needs to be done about it. Um, and I think that there's this resistance from the very get-go, a lack of willing to accept. And then I see parallels in terms of the British... Um, so there was an all-party parliamentary group um, in the UK on British Muslims, um, which was commissioned with defining Islamophobia. Um, and I would say pretty much all of the UK parties have accepted the definition of Islamophobia. The government failed to accept it. And it's about this denial, this denial of the presence, this denial of the definition, the, the sort of refusal of organisation in France. Um, that's really this lack of willing to engage with it by the people who are really at the root of the problem a lot of the time. In addition to the um, the pressures that the CCIF are facing, um, I would stress that they have got international support, like you've said, from a lot of um, human rights organisations. Um, but another organisation that's come under fire in France is the uh, the French Council for the Muslim Faith, the, the Conseil Français des Cultes Musulmanes. They're currently facing yeah. an ultimatum. Why has Macron issued this ultimatum? It's not, a, it's not a real ultimatum, but it's a, it doesn't take much uh, for, for, for them to accept the government's uh, uh, agenda. Basically, the CFCM was the, was the puppet organization created in 2003 by uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, who was then Minister of Interior. So he convoked a representative of different Muslim federations, and he imposed that they create uh, the CFCM according to his vision of what Muslims should do and how they should uh, they should behave. And at the time, uh, the, these representatives, this, this, uh, these um, uh, uh, speakers and these leaders of these Islamic organizations, they were affiliated with their country of origin. To give you a picture, 70% of Muslims in France come from Morocco, uh, uh, Algeria, North African, uh, North African countries, 10% from Sub-Saharan Africa, 10% uh, uh, are Muslim reverts or converts, 
and 10% are from the rest of the world. So basically, it makes Islamic issues in France a matter of relationship with Morocco and Algeria mainly. And so they thought that by uh, dealing with the Algerian and Moroccan embassies and the representative uh, uh, Islamic institutions, they will control Muslim communities. But uh, first, they were not chosen by Muslims, but they were chosen by uh, uh, the government. Second, uh, sociologically, they didn't look like uh, the typical Muslims in France. Uh, they don't really speak French. They, did, they are not born here. They didn't grow up here. They didn't study here. And so, of course, uh, we, we, we like them and we respect them as uncles and elderly, uh, and elderly people in our community, but they don't speak for us and they don't speak for community, especially since they do not have the interests of everyday Muslim at heart, but rather a form of notability and acceptance uh, from, the, from the government in place. That's why they shifted position among them for the last 17 years. Uh, so one finishes his mandate, then the other one takes it on. Then the third one comes back. Then the first one comes, uh, comes, uh, comes back, and their only mission uh, is to uh, say yes, say I mean to everything the the prince is going to uh, is going to say, which is not a, a really elevated form of citizenship. Because if truly you perceived yourself as a citizen, you would also uh, uh, be dignified enough to express disagreement when you see fit, uh, and when you see that it is fair, not only from a citizen standpoint but also from a believer standpoint. You should stand up for what is right. Period. And when you see uh, black people, Arab people, Roma people, Muslim people being uh, discriminated against, being hated all year long by some political figures, and you just say yes to everything, just to preserve and to be safe in your own position and in your public recognition by the political elites, then you are failing at your uh, at your uh, at your uh, at your mission. And uh, Emmanuel Macron knows that exactly, uh, and that's why. He gave them an ultimatum so that they uh, will sign, they will provide him with lists of imams and they will label uh, acceptable and Republican imams just if like imams were chicken uh, waiting to be certified and labelized as, okay, this one is organic, this one is not, this one is artificial, this one is, uh, this one is uh, not. And it's a form of political and theological control upon communities. And that's the key issue here. I agree. And I think that, yes, it's really important to highlight, and I don't know whether this has always come out in the debate and discussion around the CFCM, that it was something implemented by Sarkozy in an allegedly very secular state where the state and religion is supposed to be separate. And there again, I see more hypocrisies and inconsistencies. Um, but on the ground, how and I think you've highlighted it, but how well received are the CFCM? Uh, well, we conducted in 2018 a, uh, a major survey. It was called the La Grande Consultation des, uh, des Musulmans, where 27,000 people took part. And the survey found that uh, only 2% uh, of, uh, of the participants recognize uh, the CFCM as a representative body for, for Muslims. So not only, uh, only a few Muslims know them, and those who know the CFCM they reject the CFCM altogether. But they, they, we miss the point here. The point is that CFCM is not, for, uh, is not an object for Muslim uh, empowerment. It's an object for political empowerment. Uh, it's, a, it's a political object 
to give the illusion or to have uh, 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 individuals who fit into the government's agenda. Uh, and so, of course, uh, I think CICM is perfectly doing the job, except it's not for Muslims. Oh, yes. uh, and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and that's, the, that's the key issue here. And as long as we have political elites choosing respectable Muslims between quotes as a function of their political alignment to their own opinions, then we are failing mm -hmm. because we are not respecting Muslims as a, as a, as citizen, and it's the case everywhere in uh, in Europe. You were mentioning the case in uh, in, uh, in in Great Britain or in Germany or or in any other country. The good Muslims between between the between the quotes uh, are the Muslims who agree, and you see it everywhere in the media, in the press, in the movies. What uh, even like the the, the categorization of moderate versus extreme Muslims, okay, first, in and of itself, it's Islamophobic, because mm -hmm. it considers that Islam is a dangerous substance. You take a bit of it, you're a moderate, you just take too much of it, you become extreme. But at the same time, this categorization means that moderate Muslims are okay Muslims. They agree with that. Extremist Muslims are disagreeing Muslims. Mm -hmm. they basically, they disagree with us. They are extremists. They are Salafists or Muslim Brotherhood or whatever category you can use to problematize them. Yeah, definitely. And I think something I came across in my own fieldwork with Muslim women, um, when they were talking about the state involvement or the state um, potential manipulation um, of Muslimness and Muslim citizenship um, in the country, they talked about this um, Mac McDonaldization, so a McDonaldizing uh, commodification of Islam, like it's something that can be controlled. Um, and yet I completely agree that there is this um, potentially nocive, good Muslim, bad Muslim, moderate Muslim, radical Muslim, um, in inverted commas, uh, dichotomy that I think the French state are playing with to, um, to forward their, their Islamophobic agendas. But ultimately, I think a lot of it comes down to um, legislative measures of control on Muslimness, but tomorrow who will the next person be? Um, how many more French citizens are losing their, their freedoms? You know, it, and it kind of goes against the French motto of liberty, equality, freedom. That, that liberty is being, is potentially shrinking within the frame of Muslimness at the moment, but what happens in the future? Um, there's been a lot more um, discussion and debate at the moment around um, ID numbers, Muslims, uh, Muslim children in particular, and criminalization of complaints. Do you mind giving a bit of a background about all of that? Yeah. So basically, uh, the uh, the like the core uh, issue can be looked at through uh, the new law project for Emmanuel Macron, which is supposedly on separatisms with an S. The S is uh, rhetorical. It's not real because it focuses on on Muslim communities with uh, 62 occurrences of Muslims and Islam in one single speech. And this uh, uh, framework, this legal framework that he wants to put in place, this, uh, in my opinion, is the key issue, the, the master issue of how France deals with its uh, uh, Muslim citizen. And it aims at taking control at every single and possible level financial control, political control, the theological control, social and educational control. And so for every 
uh, chapter of this uh, of this uh, of this law. It aims at uh, looking at the way Muslims do their 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 things and how we want them to do their things. How do they finance their mosques? How do they educate their children? How do they uh, speak about religion? How do they get involved in uh, in the in the society? And we want to control that. And you know, the the notion of control has two connotations. The first one is we want to watch. So we want to, to put in place surveillance and, and watch people and be informed about what they, what they do. So that's the first exception of, uh, of uh, first definition of control. The second definition of control is to steer things on one side or the, uh, or the other. So you want to influence the way things are, uh, things are, are done. So on this educational part, they found that because uh, people were uh, disappointed in public schools, they wanted to put their kids either in private school when they have one available, or they want to engage in homeschooling when they are able to do it. But they found that many Muslim families were doing this. And that when they do this, then they are not uh, uh, controlled. The kids are not uh, controlled anymore by, uh, uh, by the authorities. So they couldn't ask and force only Muslim kids to go back to public schools. So they put in place uh, a, a new law where they want to cancel uh, homeschooling only for health exceptions and this kind of stuff altogether and to do to make sure that they have every child in their uh, in their list they want to put in place an identification number which will not be restricted only to muslim kids but will help will help the authorities identify all the all the kids and follow are they at public school are they in pri private school and if not where are they Okay, so that's number one. Uh, number two is on the sanctions when the kids express disagreement. And uh, there has been an interview this week by Minister of Interior uh, Darmanin explaining that if a child expresses disagreement with his teacher in the, in the class and we find that his parents are not French citizens, uh, they can be sanctioned and they can even be expelled. Uh, uh, so basically it sends a message as the minister would uh, would uh, would say, what message this is to be uh, discussed? The message is basically, uh, uh, if you are of this origin or if you are of that religion or that nationality, then uh, really be careful about uh, when you express disagreement, because otherwise you can face serious sanctions. And we're not talking about like a violent disagreement or anything. He just mentioned disagreement and criticism of the pedagogical approach of the teacher. So where's freedom of speech, I guess, in all of that? But I think as well, it really emphasizes this banalization of um, far-right narratives in France. And I'm mindful that the elections are coming up next year, um, that in the previous runoff, you had the far-right Le Pen and Macron, who, who claimed to be a centrist, but his narrative now is showing otherwise. Is this, I wonder, political pandering? And also... There's this notion of incomplete citizenship of Muslimness, um, with, of Muslims within France. Part of it for me as well really echoes the colonial rootings, the colonial origins of all of this. So the French colonial uh, project was uh, sort of ar around this mission civilisatrice, the civilizing mission. Do you see, as an activist on the ground, do you see that um, within? within the current political narrative, within the experiences of Muslims in France? 
Yeah, I see uh, three um, uh, resurgences, three echoes of uh, colonial times in the way Muslims are uh, are addressed specifically, and also more generally on the way French uh, French citizens perceive themselves. The first one is that uh, human rights and fundamental freedoms uh, for the French people, for us as a whole, has shifted from an objective reality to a space of belief. We believe that we are the country of human rights. We are. We believe that we are a country which is like for equal opportunity between men and women. We believe that we are a diverse country and because we believe in it, we don't have to prove it uh, because that's a belief. And by, by essence, by definition, it's a, it's a characteristic, an organic characteristic of, a, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the system, which means that, which explains why every time you ask a French, okay, but the, there is an issue there in, uh, in your country, they will say, you do not understand, you do not live here. We French are not racist and we have like Arab friends and black friends. So this is the proof that we are not racist and we believe <laughs> we are we are a diverse society, so that's uh, that's number number one. And once uh, values and ideas uh, and ideals shift from objective uh, work to belief, then you're you're doomed because you consider that it is granted. Uh, and this is this explains why the the the, the wide uh, larger population doesn't get involved too much in the fight against Islamophobia because they don't realize that when you restrict fundamental freedoms for Muslims to affect Muslims, you're restricting fundamental freedoms for everyone and not only for, for these Arabs and black people. So that's number, number one. Number two, you still have this uh, uh, feeling and belief of superiority. Uh, and so you see on the right and on the far right, they still believe that uh, 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 basically the French uh, culture, the French civilization is superior in some way to any belief, to any other belief system, especially if this is the belief system or the culture of people that we used to rule. Uh, and so the simple fact that one of us would respond to them, will disagree with them, will express some sense of agency, makes us a target. I've been working on this for the last 10 years. And the simple fact that as an Arab Muslim man, I express myself and I don't ask permission for, 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 for it. I receive like the tens of thousands of death threats and insults, mainly from the, from the, from far right, uh, from the far right, but also from mainstream parties who do not accept that I speak for myself or that any uh, black Arab Muslim men or women speaks up. And so you've seen in the media every time uh, a, a, a black woman or a Muslim woman express herself or an Arab woman or the, the mix of the three express themselves in the media, they are targeted by hate campaigns. Recently, a student union representative, recently uh, a, a food blogger who was also a, a, a student, a Muslim singer, or a, a person, or a public figure like Assad Traoré, who was campaigning against uh, po uh, police violence. So they are targeted by uh, hate campaigns, or even a journalist like uh, Rokaya Diallo, uh, they, will be, uh, they will be targeted by hate campaigns for months and weeks. So that's, uh, that's number, uh, number two. This feeling of superiority on some part of the elites uh, 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 which is still present and remains from colonial times. 
third, um, of course, the, the the civilizing mission of the of the colonial time. We are going to help Muslims become free, free from what? Free from the religion, free like what? Free like us. We, for them to be educated and emancipated, they have to be like us. Okay, and so this uh, this uh, civilizing uh, scheme is very much present, and this explains how. Uh, Islamophobia is not only secluded to the far right and, uh, and extremely conservative or even reactionary movements, but also uh, some feminist groups who conceive of feminism as a mission to emancipate Muslim women from their religion, from their culture, from their origin. Uh, this uh, notion of education and progress, which wants to target uh, black and Arab uh, boys and girls alike, uh, and, and make them endorse uh, their their political opinion, their vision of what secularism should uh, should uh, should uh, should be, and so uh, these are the uh, from an ideological standpoint, these are the the, the key issues remaining from uh, from colonial from colonial times, and then you have structural uh, uh, remains. For instance, this political um, mechanism to control. Uh, the way Muslims organize religiously, this was the same at uh, in at, at colonial times. They would summon a number of imams and say, "Hey, those who are with us, they will be like acceptable imams. Those who do not support the colonial rules, they will be uh, dissenters, and we will treat them as uh, as uh, as, uh, as such." Emmanuel Macron just uh, this week, when he summoned uh, uh, the CFCM, he said, "You are going to sign this text." Those who sign, they will be with the Republic, and those who do not sign, they will not be with the Republic. Uh, like this George W. Bushian type mm. of uh, statements uh, speaks a lot to the way uh, President Macron perceives Muslims, and this also is a remain from, uh, from, uh, from, from those times. So we shouldn't copy and paste colonial frames of thought to the current situation, but you clearly see that from an ideological standpoint and sometimes from a structural standpoint, there are remains and there are continuities. Mm. Yeah, there are definite continuities of French um, elements of French colonialism persisting today in, in, in the different facets that you mentioned. So I guess really to kind of wrap up, what could we say are the lessons to be learned um, from France for the broader global community? Yeah, so first, uh, I think the French case is maybe one of the most uh, uh, complex, interesting and serious um, case studies any academic, any human rights worker, any journalist could look at uh, in the relationship to minorities, because you expect authoritative regimes to persecute minorities. You expect them to violate human rights and fundamental freedoms. But it's very difficult to understand from an, from an international standpoint how uh, a country like France could infringe on fundamental freedoms. It's very difficult to understand, and for, for good reason, uh, 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 how a government could exclude uh, uh, Muslim kids and tell them that it's for their own good, because that was the narrative in 2004. We are going to exclude kids wearing a headscarf for their own good, because we want to secularize uh, the, the relationship they have to school, and we want to we want to free them 
Yeah. So I think uh, people should look much more closely at what's going on in France, but they do they shouldn't do it in a superficial superficial manner because otherwise their criticism, even if valid, will be dismissed easily. Yeah, because every time you say something about like, uh, okay, the way you understand secularism is in France is not uh, is not really acceptable. This is this is this is hidden racism. This is superficial criticism. But if you know exactly what laicite says and does not say, you can show how it's been weaponized against minorities, and your comment cannot be dismissed because you speak from a point of knowledge from a point of expertise if not from a point of experience so i think uh, you guys should look uh, should look at what's going on here and understand that what you consider for granted uh, that uh, for instance the labor is not great but you don't expect from the labor to be one of the not only a supportive force but a driving force of the criminalization of muslims you don't expect that you don't expect uh, uh, unions Uh, and teacher unions to be tomorrow uh, one of the leading forces in excluding uh, Muslim uh, girls from schools or Sikh boys from schools just because one wears a headscarf and the other wears a turban. You don't expect that. But if you don't pay attention, this can happen. Mm -hmm. You don't expect that prevent as a, as a program for surveillance uh, in the educational field or in, 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 in the academic world, will be generalized to health system, security system, family uh, and social assistance, and that it will result in a massive uh, 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 reporting lines where everybody, every concerned and zealous citizen can report his Muslim neighbor just for going to the mosque or for growing a beard or for not listening to music or for going to Taraweeh uh, 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 during Ramadan or these kind of uh, issues. And if you don't pay attention, then uh, you are not protected by what uh, what can go wrong in your uh, in your in your society. And if what we are going through in France has to be a, on some sort of usefulness, then it would be for 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 taking lessons, not for it to happen in other countries. Mm. If every sacrifice we made, if every hardship we went through was only for you guys to be protected from from this, then it would not be in vain, John. Inshallah. No, I think that that's incredibly important. And I feel that we could talk for another hour or so about the kind of liberal left wing Islamophobia and the Islamophobia evoked by feminists in France, that lack of understanding of um, a Muslim women's potential feminisms as well. I think that there's so much we could continue to discuss, but I think that's a really great takeaway point that here we can learn lessons and I think France is potentially that barometer, that trendsetter, but the rest of the world that is engaged and involved in anti-racist, anti-racism um, and activism around that, the things that we should take away are not to repeat what's going on, not to allow those infringements to continue in the rest of the world. But thank you ever so much um, for your time, Marwan. It's been a real pleasure um, speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.